This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Sharon Butler, the author of Conquering Carpal Tunnel Syndrome and Other Repetitive Strain Injuries, a self-care program. Sharon's work offers a complete self-care program for those at risk and those already suffering from one of the most common and most debilitating occupational injuries. Guided by symptom charts, you select the best exercises for the movement patterns required by your work and learn how to restore the range of motion to overworked hands and arms. Sharon Butler is a certified Heller Work practitioner with over 32 years experience working with people suffering from all kinds of soft tissue injuries. She has always been fascinated by the structure of the human body and the injuries that develop as a result of poor posture or stressful movement habits. Heller work emphasizes the body's natural ability to heal itself when good posture and alignment is restored. During a Heller work session, the practitioner manually stretches adhered, tight, and restricted connective tissue to restore it to a more normal state. Then, the client is taught how to maintain good posture through how they use their body, a form of ergonomics. Clients are also encouraged to discover how their attitudes, beliefs, and stress patterns affect their posture. Heller Work is a terrific program of self-discovery and healing. In 1991, Sharon became injured with bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome. Because of her understanding of how the body works when it's injured, she was able to fully heal herself within a matter of weeks. Based on Sharon's Heller work background, she was determined to develop a system of effective stretches and other body awareness techniques so that anyone, anywhere, could experience relief from their symptoms. Her ultimate goal was to create comprehensive and easy-to-follow programs that help RSI sufferers feel better fast and make those programs accessible to anyone in the world. To learn more about Sharon, please visit her website, selfcare4rsi.com. Here is the interview with Sharon Butler. In your own words, who is Sharon Butler? Great question. <laughs> it takes a lot of people a lot of time to figure that out for themselves sometimes. I am a healer. I have always been interested in helping people and I was fortunate enough to find a method for healing that made sense to my kind of scientific mind. And I needed something that had a process and procedure, but I also needed to have connection to the whole subject of what it means to be human, what it means to be vulnerable. And I needed to have ways to bring people to a new sense of themselves. And Heller work, which is the field that I chose, answers all of those. So I am a Heller work structural integration practitioner, and I help people recover from all kinds of soft tissue and fascia-related injuries. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, conquering carpal tunnel syndrome and other repetitive strain injuries, um, this is a self-care program, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. 
The first one is, what is self-care? It's very interesting subject, and that's a great question. Of course, self-care is learning all you need to learn in order to treat yourself as well as you possibly can. But I believe also self-care is being aware of other people and other techniques out there that can also be helpful to you. And we're so fortunate in these days that we have access to the internet where the internet can be this constant source of inspiration. Uh, I'll tell you, when I finished my first series of HelloWork sessions that I got as a client, I was astonished at the world that it opened up to me. I mean, there were so many incredible techniques, healing techniques, personal growth techniques, personal awareness, movement therapies, and so forth that I had had no idea existed. And I was so overwhelmed by all this. It actually took me a period of a couple of years to figure out exactly which direction I wanted to move through in this amazing sea of new inspiration and new techniques and so forth. And the really sad thing is that you just don't hear about these things from traditional allopathic medical doctors and therapists. So self-care for me is educating yourself to figure out what is going to help you the most achieve whatever goal it is you're looking for, whether it's physical health, mental health, spiritual health, movement health, self-awareness health, and so forth. That's what it means to me. What is life to you, Sharon? Oh my, I actually have a little note posted on my desk that says, I am a consciousness having an experience called Sharon Butler, which for me has completely flipped my concept of what my life is. Um, You know, I always thought of myself as I have these lists of traits and I have these preferences and I like to do this and I don't like to do that. And that used to be my definition of myself. But now when I think of myself as a conscious entity that has chosen to come into this life and experience it as Sharon Butler, it takes on an entirely different meaning for me. I'm really rather awed by it, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that means. But it shifts all of the things that I thought were quote unquote wrong with my life into something else entirely. You know, I'm finding that it's probably going to take the rest of my life to figure out exactly what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're speaking for all of us. (laughs) Uh, I know. Yeah, well, we're all on a quest, aren't we? Oh, yes. What do you think is the opposite of life? Do you think there is such a thing? No, I don't, actually. I think in my perception, in my what I have decided is true for me, is that we are a spiritual entity and that energy continues after our death and that it comes back in other forms. I was actually gifted the opportunity to be present when my father passed on. Even though I was surrounded by the rest of my family, I was the only one in the room that could literally feel like an explosion of energy at the moment he died. And it was as if his spirit had finally escaped the limitations of his physical body. And I could literally feel this like poof. And all of a sudden there was this bigness in the room. That was just an incredible experience and really validated to me that he was going on in some other form at some other frequency and he wasn't dead at all. You know, he was just changed. He was transmuted. And uh, that was both health healing for me. It made me feel better about his passing and very hopeful for my own existence and much less afraid of the whole process of dying for sure. That was very pivotal for me. Yeah, I love to hear these direct experiences into the unknown. They are revealing for sure. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? It's a good question. You ask hard questions. (laughs) (laughs) What's the purpose of life? Well, I think if you you look at life, quote unquote life, uh, through the perspective of being a energy that is moving through one lifetime onto another, perhaps the goal of it is to learn as much as you can from the challenges and 
experiences that you're faced with in this lifetime so that you can then carry it with you into the next. And I would hope that that would mean that we are on this constant progression of improvement, which kind of makes sense to me because you think of like someone like Mother Teresa, who was clearly incarnated into this world to do amazing and great things. And then you compare her existence to someone who spent their life as a criminal or a pauper in in a village somewhere or handicapped or whatever. And it's like, I never could understand the difference between why one person was incarnated with this life versus what the next person was incarnated with their life, you know, with all its challenges and so forth. And understanding that we may all be on a continuum that just blends from life to life to life with the purpose of experiencing and then improving in each lifetime made sense to me finally that there could be such a difference between how people present themselves in this world and and the challenges that they end up facing and so forth. So that's what it means to me. Um, I believe it's just a big long continuum where we are allowed and encouraged to learn as much as we can about ourselves through the challenges that we face in each lifetime. What is freedom to you? What does it mean to be free? Freedom to me means being unbounded by limitations. We're seeing a sort of uh, shift in that these days in our world. And it concerns me a great deal that there are limitations being placed on people for all kinds of kind of wacky reasons um, during this pandemic. It concerns me because I think that as soon as one person tries to exert control over another, I think uh, your your evolution is greatly inhibited. Now, of course, there's laws and we all have to agree to follow the laws and so forth, but it seems to be a little bit more arbitrary these days and I'm very concerned about that. I worry for the children that are being born now and what kind of a world they're going to be living in. It won't look like my childhood, that's for sure. What do you think is the world's greatest need at this time? Oh, my gosh. Tolerance, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) 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 It it astonishes. Well, see, I think that not enough people have the same attitude that I have, that, that we are all spiritual entities that all come from the same thing. We're all one. Because of human frailty and the limitations of the human mind, and the way we're educated and preached to in our churches and so on and so forth, we forget that we are all one and the same. And if we could just remember that idea, then the idea of one person being one race versus another or one age versus another or one economic level versus another would disappear. And so I think tolerance is the greatest challenge that we face right now. I don't know where the answer is to that for helping people to understand that concept and grasp it. Um, I wish I knew. And I wish I knew if there was actually someone who could guide us through to that goal. Because I think that's that's when I think humanity will live in peace and coexistence and more equality, not in terms of place in life or life situation or whatever, but at least the equality in the idea that you are not inhibited in moving through your life in whatever way you were meant to move through it. Do you connect tolerance to love? Uh, Oh, sure. I think that when you tolerate someone, it opens up doors of acceptance and understanding and so forth, which are all hallmarks of love. Yes. I love that word, understanding, right? That definitely leads to love. What is your understanding and idea of peace? (laughs) The thought that just came through my mind was uninhibited (laughs) self-expression. I like that. (laughs) Sounds really good to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, look at how amazing life is. and But it stops being quite so amazing when somebody's trying to control you or society is trying to control you. And peace to me is uh, having unfettered access. Well, not completely unfettered. Again, there are laws that we have to respect and certain norms of society that we have all agreed to, that we've agreed to. And I believe that there's a certain amount of peace that comes from being aware of that and so forth. But aside from things like, you know, okay, we always 
in the United States, we always drive on the right side of the road and you stop at a red light and you don't steal from people and you don't hurt anybody else and so on and so forth. Once you get past those, (laughs) those are basics. Yeah. 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 I think peace comes from uh, having unfettered access to the rest of your abilities and your desires and your direction in life without having to be inhibited by anybody else or anything else. What, where, and who is God to you? God is me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, I suppose there's a supreme energy of some sort that's out there, but I am at least a piece of that. And so is the guy next to me. And so is the neighbor across the hall. And so is the person on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. You know, we are all pieces of the whole. That's God to me. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I was raised in a regular, in a traditional religion and knew that it was just simply, you know, the ritual and the forced repeating of certain prayers and chants and things like that just did not resonate with me in the least. And I must say, I have a much deeper respect and relationship with my God through spirituality as opposed to through the religious background that I had. Yeah, definitely. Big difference. (laughs) Thank you for answering these questions, Sharon. I love your wisdom. How did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Conquering Carpal Tunnel Syndrome and Other Repetitive Strain Injuries? Writing of my book came, well, it was kind of, it, it came as a direct result of my work as a Hello Work Structural Integration Practitioner. And I actually had been in practice for, I've been in practice uh, for 34 years. In the first five years of my practice, I had the opportunity to expand my base of knowledge a bit and found a technique that would really, really help people in a very deep way when they were on my table. So I practiced that technique over and over and over again with all the clients that I had and literally blew out the muscles of my forearms. And to the point where I couldn't turn a key in a lock, I couldn't lift a little plastic grocery bag that had anything in it, I was instantly handicapped, (laughs) and very shockingly so. So I immediately called my teacher, who I consider one of the top people in his field, and told him what was going on with me. And he goes, well, you know this is all about fascia, uh, and you know all about fascia, so figure it out. And so I thought, well, if he thinks that I can figure this out, I guess I can. I immediately started just simply tuning in to my own body and paying attention to exactly what it was that I was feeling. And I decided that I was not going to be afraid of whatever symptoms I was feeling, even though they were totally stopping my work and my ability to earn for myself and uh, support myself. So that was a critical decision right there is to remove the emotion out of it. And what that led me to was a series of stretches that worked very well for me to get rid of my symptoms. And I realized the, the moment this was happening was in 1991. And at that particular time in history, computers were just beginning to show up in the workplace. And in most businesses, if they had a computer at all, a desktop computer, uh, there was only one per department. You started seeing little articles in the press about people who started getting hand and arm injuries because of using these computers. I started putting two and two together and it's like, here, I have this injury and it came from using my hands and I figured out these stretches that seem to work really well. Here's this potentially developing problem that's going to affect just about everybody because sooner or later, everyone's going to have a computer. Let me put them all together. So I started to, I found somebody to illustrate my stretches and I started to put them in written form and uh, made like a little booklet of them. And then I started looking for other people who had injuries similar to mine. Sure enough, there were plenty of them. And I started giving them some of my stretches to see if they would help them as well because each injury is completely unique for each person, they worked. So then I thought, well, what's the next step? (laughs) And the next step was putting it all together in a book. In my book, one of the things that I particularly like is that a person can open it and find the area of their body that is most affected 
And there is a little chart there that will show you exactly where to start and what stretches to do. And I'm really fortunate that over 50,000 copies have been sold over the years. And I get call, I get letters from Africa and Europe and Asia and all kinds of places from people saying that this is the thing that helped them get over their pain. And so, you know, oh my goodness, what greater gift for a healer than to be able to have a worldwide audience and they're all saying that I have helped them. I mean, oh my God. (laughs) That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for what you do because we do need that. I think I need it. (laughs) Uh, My computer all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, I need that. So I never heard about Heller work. It's really cool stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph Heller is the man who began Heller work. He was actually an early student of Dr. Ida Rolf. Dr. Ida Rolf was the woman who began the technique called Rolfing. A lot of people understand the term Rolfing and have heard of that before. They may not really know what it is, but Dr. Rolf discovered that connective tissue in the body actually is the element that's responsible for a lot of our pain and dysfunction and our loss of alignment with gravity. She developed techniques for manipulating connective tissue, especially the form called fascia, in ways that restores balance to the body. Joseph Heller was a student of hers and actually became the first president of the Rolf Institute under her. Um, But then he began studying some additional things. He began to study movement awareness and realized that that was adding to the overall wellness that a person experiences when they go through a process like Rolfing. And he also started studying with people who had various psychological backgrounds and energy medicine backgrounds and discovered that when you combine the Rolfing kind of fascia release that restores balance, that you can enhance the balance even further if the person learns to move better after their tissue is restored to balance. And if they can become aware of the holding patterns, emotional holding patterns, energetic holding patterns that are present as the tissue is released. And so he combined them all together, left the Rolf Institute and started his own thing called Heller work. So Heller work in the early days was sort of like Rolfing plus, but in recent years, all of the other structural integration schools that have ultimately branched off from the Rolfing principles have also included their own ways of enhancing the client's experience through the whole rebalancing process in unique ways. Hellerwork just has this particular set of unique ways. Very inspirational work. Very inspirational work. Yeah, it sounds like it, though. And we all know that movement is life. So this is very important to know. My next question is about the fascia. What is it? Fascia is one of the many forms of connective tissue. It's kind of interesting. When the average person thinks about their body structure, Uh, Usually what they think of is the bones and the muscles, and they might give some thought to the organs that are in there, blood vessels and so forth. But And this kind of goes back to the traditional way that anatomy was taught in medical schools. If you think about an anatomical drawing, what you see is um, the bones and the muscles. They illustrate the bones and the muscles. What they don't tell you is that in order to get that image, what they had to do is peel away all the layers of fascia so that you could see the bones and the muscles. And they considered fascia as kind of junk tissue. It was just tossed away and thrown away. What we're beginning to learn now is that fascia is actually the stuff that holds you together. It is uh, an amazing, it's amazing stuff. An early textbook that I used in my HelloWork training uh, was a book called Job's Body, and it was by a Dr. Dean Juhan. In his book, he says they always wondered, you know, what makes up this fascia, this stuff that we kind of just toss away. And what they found is that there's a bunch of, um, there's varying levels of of, um, contractile tissue, which is kind of elastic. So some of it is very elastic, some of it is not. And then there 
are collagen fibers. And then there's a whole lot of ground fluid. So fascia, as a as an example of what it is, it's like if you, I hope I don't insult anybody who's a vegetarian here, but if you were to take a piece of raw chicken, say a raw chicken breast, and you lift up the skin, the gooey stuff that joins the skin to the meat is fascia. And it allows the skin to slide really easily and so forth. But what you can't see is that fascia also goes through and permeates right through the middle of the muscle you're seeing. Mm. And it goes, it continues on. And as the muscle tissue ends, the fascia continues and it becomes the strap-like tendon that attaches that muscle to the bone. When the muscle fibers contract, the fascia responds because it's connected to the bone, it moves the bone. And so fascia is like this integral part in every kind of movement that there is. What Dr. Rolf discovered was that when fascia is under tension, fascia will change and it will uh, transmute itself. It will start to get sticky and it will form adhesions. And so a very common thing that people experience who use a lot of computers is that, you know, as they're fingers are moving to type on the keys or they're holding a cell phone and their thumbs are moving to, you know, text on the cell phone. What happens is their body goes through very typical repetitive movements. And there's some strain associated with that because it's so constant, it's continuous and it doesn't end. And so what happens is the fascia under the skin begins to say, Ooh, she needs a little more support in this in doing this movement. Let's join ourselves together. And it kind of sticks to itself and changes and becomes less fluid. Mm. And it prevents muscles from sliding across one another. It prevents um, muscles from or the skin from being able to slide easily over the muscles underneath it. And things just start to get a little harder, a little denser, a little more congested over time. It will end up giving the person what they consider an injury. And really all it is, is a change in the condition of the fascia. So the way you restore fascia back to its normal, less inhibited state is to stretch it. Now, when you go through some to somebody like a HelloWork practitioner, that person will use their hands or the sides of their hands or possibly even their forearm or their elbow to manually stretch that tissue and it will help to restore it back to its loose fluid state. So the process, the physical process of going through something like Heller work is to go have you, you go for a number, a series of sessions in Heller work. It's, it's 11 sessions and each session focuses on a different area of your body and attempts to restore your balance within the field of gravity. And at the same time, you learn how to move that part of your body in more optimum ways. And then in HelloWork sessions, we also talk to the client as we're working on them in ways that are related to that portion of their body. For instance, when we're working on the feet and legs, we talk to them about their feeling of support in life. Are you able to stand on your own two feet? You know, what does that mean to you? And so this would be right up your alley because these are the kinds of <laughs> questions that you have. <laughs> right, right. I love those. <laughs> yeah. And so um, for the people who really want to dive into the um, mental, emotional, spiritual aspect of the work, the opportunity is right there. And I have seen people um, on my table who have uh, had amazing aha experiences connecting life events with holding patterns that they have chronically held in their body where eventually they developed an injury. It's a process of peeling away the layers, restoring them back to balance and discovering the source of it all so that you can finally move beyond it. It's fascinating work. Yeah, I love that. got to see miracles every day in my work. Really, Sherry. Are we able to know when the fascia in specific parts of our bodies is getting imbalanced, like you said, accumulating and stiffen up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, take a look at a three-year-old and just look at how they move. Mm. You know, they can move their head and arms in every possible direction. Mm. They can, you know, run and fall and it doesn't bother them and they just get right back up. And consider how a 40-year-old moves. 
They don't move like that anymore. (laughs) And so what it is, it's the accumulation of slight little tiny traumas, you know, and they built up over time and they become more and more of a problem. The problem is we live with them every day, all day, every day. And we seldom recognize this slow creeping limitation that keeps building and building and building. And most people end up coming to someone like me after it becomes painful for some reason. Unfortunately, you know, it's kind of like probably the people who are able to avoid this a lot would be people who are practicing extremely varied forms of movement. Uh, Yoga comes to mind only because uh, a practice like yoga takes you through so many different ranges of motion. If you think about it, when somebody's walking, for instance, or running, the muscles that they're using to move their legs forward and back like that are similar to the muscles that you would use in pumping a bicycle, possibly kicking in a swimming pool, and so on and so forth. Someone who practices those things needs to vary their movements. Maybe they need to take up tennis so that their arms swing out to the side or their legs step to the side or they bend differently or whatever. Practice like yoga um, actually helps to um, increase those different varieties of movement that a body goes through. And that is movement is what keeps fascia healthy and keeps it from getting stuck. And so all, you know, Joseph Heller used to say to us as he was training us that as you get older, you should be including one new sport every year. And yes, every single year, because you need to keep that fascia and your body and your muscles and your tendons and ligaments moving in new and different ways. So it's important to choose things that are really different from what you did last year so that it keeps improving that variety of movement. Talk to me about stretching. I know you have in your book many kinds and suggestions. And then you talk to about the uh, the stretch point, which I never heard. Yeah, um, stretching, um, it's it's interesting. I, I've gone through a lot of metaf- metamorphosis over the mm-hmm. subject of stretching, particularly because I started my journey around stretching through an injury. And what I learned real quick is that you cannot stretch injured tissue the same way you stretch other normal uninjured tissue, or at least what you perceive to be uninjured. The truth of the matter is, it's all injured. It's all been changed uh, in one way or another, simply through living life in whatever way we choose to. So what I have discovered is that you have to be very careful when you're stretching injured tissue for people who have just normal bodies that are not experiencing pain there are ways that you can improve the typical way that people stretch that give you better results. So for instance, I was teaching a class of Heller work practitioners how to do uh, some techniques that I have developed over the years. And there was a woman um, sitting on the floor. She practiced yoga every day and she was sitting on the floor with her legs spread apart and she was attempting to uh, bend forward and just kind of um, stretch her inner thighs. And So I said, okay, do that and pay attention to how that feels. And in your experience, have you ever noticed that you've had a great improvement in the range of motion you can achieve with that stretch? She says, frankly, no. You know, it always seems to be the same range of motion that I can get with this kind of a movement. I said, okay, so try this now. This is where my stretch point comes in. I said, I want you to lean forward until you feel just the beginning of a stretch. I mean, the very first sign that something's beginning to happen and hold it there for a little while and take in a couple of breaths and maybe shift your, um, keep the same amount of bend forward, but shift your body slightly to the left and then slightly to the right, nice and slowly, and just kind of ease your way through a range of motion while you're holding the amount of bend right at that point. And she tried that for maybe a minute. And then I had her sit back up straight. I said, okay, now try the same stretch again. And she did. And all of a sudden, she had much greater flexibility and range of motion. So what I have discovered is that most people, when they think about stretching, it's like they want to really go for it. They want to kill themselves with that stretch and hurt. And, you know, they want to really get it. Well, the thing that's really curious is that in your autonomic nervous system, which is the nervous system that you don't think about, it's automatic, there is a process called the stretch point. And the stretch point means 
your body is always analyzing if it's safe for it to be continuing to do what you're doing. So when you go and stretch really hard, what happens is your body says, whoa, wait a minute, I can't handle that. I can't make that change. And so your body pulls back and it inhibits the tissue from releasing. What you feel is a real good solid stretch, you know, something that's really getting in there. But you're not actually stretching at all. Your body isn't letting go at all, which is why you never see an overall improvement. Wow. What I yes, what I found is that if you sneak up on it and you don't abuse the limitations of your tissue, if you respect them, then what happens is you're going up and you're giving a nice friendly handshake to this tissue that has changed. And you're saying, hmm, how do you do? I guess this is where we're starting from. Let's respect one another and just gently move through a range of motion to see where we are. And you're just meeting it. And that's the stretch point. That's the point just at the beginning when you start to feel stretch. And you will find if you consistently stretch like that over a period of time, you will get far better results than you ever would have if you tried to muscle through it. Yeah. That makes sense. I love this gentle approach, this oh, relationship yeah. to the body. And the cool thing is that if you do have an injury, even if it is before it has beginning begun to um, give you symptoms of that injury, what will happen is you will begin to change that tissue in progressive, positive ways without making it more angry. You know, in, uh, damaged tissue has the potential of becoming very angry and giving you lots of big symptoms. Pretty easily. And so if you, if you haven't yet gotten to the point where you're feeling symptoms of that tissue change, then what happens is when you approach it gently and you ease it into change, it will improve without you ever having to get to the pain stage. I love that, Sharon. That makes me think about relaxation because stretching, it seems like it's, it's supposed to be a relaxing, putting the body in, in this relaxing state. It would be a whole lot better if people stretched that way. You're right. Is that possible, really, to be aware of all the movements we make throughout the day? No, no. I mean, you know, we get, we get, we get uh, interrupted and, you know, other things take precedence over it. But we have kind of taken it to an extreme these days, haven't we? Yes. I mean, most people will keep on doing the same habitual thing over and over again, despite the fact that it's causing them some discomfort without paying any attention to, to what it's doing simply because it's become habit. Then once you develop a problem, it becomes a real challenge to change that habit. I had a perfect example of that years ago. I had this favorite pair of sandals that I would wear. Mm -hmm. And one of my feet happens to be a half of a size smaller than the other one. And so here I had these sandals on and on my left foot, it was the sandal was particularly loose. So I literally had to grip with my toes to hold the sandal, keep it from flopping around on my foot. The other foot fit fine and there was none of that issue. So my left foot, I was just constantly gripping with my toes. And over time, I was completely unaware of this, even though I've had all this training as a hella worker and, you know, we're trained to pay attention to stuff. I wasn't paying attention to that. I developed plantar fasciitis in the bottom of my foot. It was incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. And I kept wearing the sandals, never making the connection. And I happened to be in the presence of Joseph Heller, my teacher, one time. And he reminded me that if, you know, I had worked on my own foot to try to release it, it didn't make a difference. And so he said, well, you know, if, if you can't find the solution doing one thing, try something different. And I remember back to my training about, um, chronic holding patterns. And so I said, you know, let me pay real attention to how I'm moving this foot in this sandal. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, I'm gripping with my toes. So I had to give up the sandals, my favorite sandals, <laughs> of those sandals and switch to different <laughs> shoes. And I had to become consciously aware of every single footstep I made to the best of my ability to make sure I wasn't gripping with my toes. That was the thing that corrected the whole plantar fasciitis. So sometimes you have to work really hard at being aware of these repetitive movements that you do. Unfortunately, for most of us, it has to start with pain. Otherwise, we're very little motivated to make that kind of an effort. 
that's the way it goes. Yeah, awareness. <laughs> we don't beat over the head with it before we uh, decide to do something constructive. But yeah, how often should we stretch? I think that's a good question. Uh, I think that's something that you have to figure out for yourself. And that goes through experimentation. I think if you're stretching properly, you may not need to do it every day. What I found worked for me, especially when I was injured, is I had to figure out, I call it the bank account. And and it's like if you're at a deficit, if you're, if you're injured, it's like your bank account is empty and you owe money back to the mm-hmm. bank. You've got a loan going here. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time you stretch, you're putting funds back into the bank account and you're beginning to get back up to a zero balance. You're still way below it when you have pain. Uh, so each episode of correct stretching um, adds money back into the fund. But if you stretched for too long a period of time in one setting, it may not be what your body can tolerate. And you will find that you're losing ground. You know, your pain comes back more or it just doesn't feel right to stretch the next day or whatever. You need to learn how to speak that language and respect those limits. Again, it goes back to respecting the limits of the tissue. So once you get to a zero balance, what I have told all of my clients who have had hand and arm injuries is that um, you're at the point now where you can basically experience normal daily life without any extra activities and not feel pain. But usually for most people, they go back to work and then they start feeling pain again very quickly. And it's because they haven't built up a surplus in their bank account. So you have to keep on stretching to the point where things are moving so well and they have so improved that you can now stress the tissue to a certain degree uh, before you begin feeling pain. Yeah. And so it, re- it really requires that each person learn their own body's limits and uh, figure that out for themselves. For an uninjured person, the same thing holds true. It's just that you're going to have a little larger of a window that you can experiment with. Yeah, it makes so much sense to me because we are the only ones who can really tell, right? You can't, yeah. No, no, no therapist yeah. in there is ever going to be able to tell you what your body feels like when you're going through those stretches. It all has to come from you. What is a good chair? What would that be? (laughs) (laughs) We all want to know, I guess. (laughs) Well, at first, it's going to feel good to you. But the, the principle behind it is you should be able to sit up straight, um, that's that's a really difficult question to answer, Valeria. Bodies are so very different, and uh, where you need support and where you don't need support is so different. I would certainly encourage somebody, if they're buying a chair, to really pay attention to how they feel when they sit in that chair. And if anything doesn't feel right, don't select that chair. I remember going into a business once. Um, they had just outfitted, just refurbished their entire business department, you know, where all their people worked, and they uniformly outfitted them with matching chairs that looked beautiful. Um, but the moment they, the person sat down on it, there was a spring underneath their tailbone that allowed them to sink back in the chair and they automatically reclined in this chair just to a slight degree. You know, it was very supportive and so forth. And I said, you've made this giant mistake buying these chairs because first of all, you shouldn't be tilted back in your seat and when you're sitting at a computer you should be able to sit straight up and have your low back supported by the chair and then ideally for me I would rather see no armrests at all because they become a real enticement to rest your arms on the armrests and as soon as you put that pressure on those muscles in your um, forearms you inhibit the motion of the muscles that are underneath your skin which can then lead to all kinds of drag on the connective tissues. And that leads to adhesions in the connective tissue, which eventually leads to some injuries. Again, you have to fit it. You know, if a person is five foot three sitting in that chair and the same chair is used by somebody who's six feet tall, you can tell that there's going to be some pressure on the elbows. There's going to be lifting of the shoulders. There's going to be a different way that their body fits in the chair. So You've got to really be careful choosing your own chair and pay attention. The same thing goes with car seats. Yeah. Big problem for people right. is, you know, they they uh, buy a car because they love the car. You know, they love the record of the car and how well it lasts and all that sort of stuff. But if the seats don't fit you, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, 
it's going to be years of pain. <laughs> it always goes back in a way to self-awareness. Talk to me about the self-care toolkit. Sure. That's actually an enhancement of the work I did when I wrote my book. The book came out in 1995 and 1996. People began using it and some people wrote back to me and said, I've tried every exercise in the book and which made me want to pull my hair out because that's too much. They're not respecting the limits of the tissue and they're overdoing it. So I thought, okay, there are basically seven unique injuries for um, hands and arms that most people encounter. And they're carpal tunnel syndrome, de Quervain syndrome, which is pain in the thumbs, forearm pain, neck and shoulder pain, elbow tendonitis, ulnar tunnel syndrome, which is um, a nerve problem that extends through the elbow and down into the little fingers. And I'm missing one. <laughs> oh, thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah, thoracic outlet syndrome is where um, the nerves are impinged in the neck and it causes your entire arm to go numb. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty bad, pretty bad injury. Um, so what I did is I created unique programs for each one of those separate injuries and um, packaged them all together into self-care toolkits that could be chosen by people who have those diagnoses or where their symptoms kind of match the typical symptoms of those, each one of those injuries. Wonderful. You're a very good teacher. <laughs> I love the way you explain everything. It's so clear. Thank you. Very Thank you. good. What is another word for healing? Well, you know, when I come from my Heller work uh, background, for me, it's restoring balance. Yeah, yeah it's like um, bodies are, bo bodies and human beings are very fluid. You know, we change all the time. We change, um, what we do, how we hold ourselves, what we think, what we feel, how we express all of those things. And we, our bodies are constantly changing because they're getting older. We're putting different forces through them and so on and so forth. So I think the best you can hope for is balance yeah. and um, restoring that balance. And the thing that's unique about uh, structural integration in general, all of the different schools of structural integration, is that we uh, respect the fact that we are all moving around in this sea of gravity. So there's constantly forces placed on your body. And if your body's in good structural balance, you move through those forces with the least amount of effort. And if you're not in balance, uh, it becomes very, very stressful to move through life on all levels. Yeah. So one of the examples I used to give my clients is imagine if you had a uh, one of those suspension bridges and, and you built it And one of the foundational pylons that's underneath the, the bridge lost a foot, you know, like a, a 12 inches of, of support disappeared and dropped. Oh, wow. You could imagine the effect that it would have on all those wires that are suspending that bridge. And the same thing happens in a human body. It all shifts and it shifts in a way that is not natural to the normal function of the body. So what happens is, the, again, that triggers the body saying, uh-oh, you know, we're not, we need support here. You know, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And things start tightening up and getting stuck and molding you in ways that can prevent certain kinds of movement and prevent certain ways of expressing. And the interesting thing is that When you start having limitations like that that come from the physical side, you may be able to then, you may develop an attitude or a belief that reflects that limitation. So for instance, if someone is experiencing a whole lot of stress in their life, one of the things that is very common to see um, is that they don't move their arms very much when they're walking. Mm, so yeah. they're holding a tremendous amount of stress in their shoulders and their arms just can't swing. Now, the interesting question to ask that person is, did you stop moving your arms first and then develop the feeling of stress? Or did you experience stress, which then limited your ways, the ways you move your arms, mm. which came first? <laughs> and becoming yeah. aware of those patterns can help somebody to release them. Two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Nope. Love that answer. <laughs> Quick, too. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I've thought about this a lot, you know, especially, you know, now that we're at a time where 
you know, it seems like there's a lot of jeopardy going on around us, you know, with health and so forth. And it's like, no, I would live where I live and I would continue doing exactly what I was doing. I'd even do that if I won the lottery. I would stay in exactly the same place and continue doing exactly the same thing. I love your answer. <laughs> that says a lot. It feels good to be able to say that too, you know, because I know people really struggle with that. And my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Life is not nearly as random as we think. I, I believe that life goes on after we uh, transition into another plane of existence. Um, and I think that um, balance is key in everything. Thank you so much for your presence, Sharon, um, your wisdom. I love your wisdom and the healing, yeah, the healing knowledge that you have and you're sharing with all of us. Thank, well, thank you. you. I appreciate that. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? I would encourage people to visit my website, which is self-care, the digit four, R. SI, which stands for repetitive string injury.com. And uh, they will find lots more information about fascia and these various injuries that I help people with and a little bit more information about Hellerwork and some links to other areas that will open their, expand their worlds a bit. Thank you so much again. And um, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye for now, Sharon. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sharon Butler, please visit her website, selfcare4rsi.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.